0: Well, this is Current Yield, uh, the Grant's Interest Rate Observer of the Air, and welcome, ladies and gentlemen. It's a pleasure to be here, as always. I am Jim Grant, by the way, and uh, with us today is Michelle Leader, who is the the first word and the last word in the fine print that, according to authorities at Harvard University, you no longer have to read. I'm I'm paraphrasing, and we'll get around to this Harvard Business Review story in a moment. But with me to my left is Eric Whitehead, who was our engineer. He's at the control panel, and the great Evan Lorenz is sitting diagonally across from me in this glass table, and uh, directly ahead of me is Michelle. So Michelle, welcome.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: You are entirely welcome. It's our pleasure. Okay, so to begin with, Evan, let us get this out of the way, this Harvard Business Review piece, which I I read on our deadline on Tuesday, and I thought I had read everything. Indeed, I thought I had written everything, but no, I had not read this, uh, but we did indeed paraphrase it. Please tell our listeners, you can hold this thing up so they can see it as well. Yeah, so you know we're not making this up. Here it is. All right, see? Yeah, it's a thing. Why we need to update financial reporting for the digital era is the headline. All right, Evan, tell us what it says.
2: It basically says financial accounting is not kind of important anymore. And in fact, if you're um, one of the accountants in a, a company, you're likely not going to be invited to the company party or even to the planning session or even to any... Well, that's all...
0: That's, that has been going on for a long time. That's just a social problem, right, with the accountants. It's nothing to do with substance.
2: Yeah, let's see. This is the CFOs of uh, Silicon Valley Companies. They consider the calculation of gap-based profitability be more of a hindrance and a distraction to their internal resource allocation decisions. One CFO commented that they now avoid inviting company accounts to the strategy meetings, while another said the CPA certification is considered a disqualification for a top finance position. Well, I would
0: say that it's a hindrance for the stock price as much as for the uh, planning process. That's my own instinct in the matter. Now, Eric Whitehead was in the day, he was an accountant, and I didn't recall him being invited to that many parties, right? No. Uh, so it's uh, only part... Pref- hey, Michelle, do you have any comment on this Harvard Re- Business Review, uh, I'm going to say, outrage?
1: <laughs> I think it is... Um, Evan just told me about this for the first time, and, uh, it, you know... I guess it shouldn't be surprising, but yet it still is. You know, you certainly see some of this in you know the filings that I'm reading, where companies are just making up metrics. So is that really an extension of you know if the metrics don't matter, you can just make them up? Well,
0: for the benefit of our listeners who are not familiar with Michelle's work, she has spoken at a grants conference. I'm not going to say that your career highlight. It's just you know it's one of those things. I will say that uh, teaching your dog Kumara to actually vet SEC filings might well be a career highlight. That
1: is definitely. M- Michelle, has, <laughs> Michelle
0: has spent uh, many, many years um, uh, studying SEC filings, is very familiar with the tricks of the trade and and what an investor ought to be on guard for. And could you help us uh, get into this topic of uh, defensive reading?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, as with anything, um, read the fine print. I think very few of us actually do read the fine print. I mean, you know, even look at when you go onto a new website and you look at uh, terms and conditions, how many of Just us actually scroll right
0: through that yeah. stuff, right?
1: Exactly. You know, Apple does a new update on your iPhone. Um, I think they just pushed a new software update last week, and you know, in order to, you have to agree to their terms and conditions. But if you actually were to scroll through them, it would be quite cumbersome. You know,
0: I don't read the aspirin labels either. (laughs) You you open an aspirin bottle, and there's this this, 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 this essay. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I I read most of it, but I.
1: (laughs) True. I mean, you know, look, it's, you know, this stuff is written by lawyers who are getting paid basically by the word, know, by the word. Yeah. much like Dickens got paid by the word, yeah. you know, back in the day, yeah. um, they're getting paid by the word. Well, let's,
0: let's, let's get down to cases, Michelle. So, um, uh, you have read these things for a living. Mm-hmm. All right. So you get a new filing and let's say it doesn't come in at some suspicious hour, like Friday at 9:30 PM. Right. So you can kind of expect that it's more or less orthodox. How do you read it? Do you read it from the back to the front? Do you read the footnotes first? Do you read, uh, how do you read it?
1: I think it just depends. I mean, if we're talking about, like, let's say a 10K or a 10Q, that's, you know, it's a much more systematic approach, right? Because the 10Ks have sort of these chapters, if you will. And so I'll look through, um, you know, particular sections. I mean, I like to look at the litigation to see if there's any new significant litigation. I like to look at the risk factors. Risk factors are very important. So those are sort of the areas. And of course, the footnotes, that would be in a more traditional, like in a 10K. If we're talking about a 10Q or an 8K, you know, it depends. I mean, obviously, Obviously, the Friday night dump, which, you know, a term that I'd like to think I invented. I invented it. Let's just call well, it right here. Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> Haven't you agreed? Yeah, I, I never heard of it her? before her.
1: Yeah. There you go. All right. So um, Friday night dump. And, you know, basically uh, after 4 p.m. on a Friday afternoon, when the markets, once the markets close, there is another 90 minutes while the SEC remains open, where the SEC remains open. And during that time, that's when companies tend to take out the trash, so to speak. And so you see a lot of unusual usual 8Ks there, um, you know, whether it's a CFO being shown the door or, you know, an audit no, An
0: 8K form is for a special event?
1: The definition is actually, um, is supposed to be, uh, you know, an event. Of, of really, consequence, yeah, right? Yeah, I mean, I think that most of us t- tend to think of it as a material event, but of course, materiality is in the eye of the beholder.
0: So 10K, of course, is the annual, is the annual API, report. Right? The
1: 10Q is the quarterly report. Right?
0: And 8K is a, a it's surprise.
1: Just, is a surprise, yeah. yeah. I mean, And usually we often associate that with earnings, right? You know, like a company will file its earnings and they will do that as as an 8K. They'll include the earnings press release there. But an 8K can be used for all sorts of other things, um, you know, as well. And so whether it's material or not, usually that's sort of how we think of it. It's something that the company has to tell its shareholders that they think it's important enough to tell shareholders. In
0: all all your reading, uh, in all the years you've been reading these things, what trends have you noticed? As for example, has Gap been not entirely scrapped? Is Gap Been subject to its own bear market. Is the bespoke financial metric uh, is that in a bull market? And uh, and if these things are true, what does it mean for investors?
1: I definitely see a lot of the bespoke, you know, financial metric. I mean, you know, I think it was about a year or two ago, two years ago, I guess, Twitter started using uh, a new metric. um, Which was that? And it was called uh, daily active usage. Now there is a metric called monthly. You know, one of the common metrics is monthly active users, and then there's also the you know the Corresponding daily active users, but usage would imply something totally different. And I think that that was just kind of tweaked in a way to suit Twitter's numbers, where you have a number of people like Evan, you know, tweeting very actively throughout the day. Wait, multiple. wait,
2: wait, 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 wait. Evan does what? <laughs> I'm being framed. It's a doppelganger
1: tweeting uh, actively uh, throughout the day (laughs) all right
0: michelle why don't you proceed we'll 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 talk later about this eric (laughs) do you have anything to say uh we're going to pause right here just for one split second before we get around to uh evan what constant listeners will know what uh, this means right here that's the away travel sound. Away travel makes uh, luggage and not just any kind of luggage. It uses high quality materials while offering you a much lower price compared to other brands by cutting out the middleman and selling directly to you. So you can choose from a variety of colors and uh, four sizes the carry on, the bigger carry on, the medium, or the large. That's uh, when you want to go to China. Hey, my wife is in China. Patricia Cavanaugh, MD, is in China. And uh, that's away, right? That's half a world away. So hurry home, Patricia. Uh, as I was saying, all these suitcases are made with a uh, premium. German polycarbonate, unrivaled in strength and impact resistance and very lightweight. Uh, the interior features a patent pending compression system, helpful for overpackers. TSA approved combination locking to the top of the bag to prevent theft. Removable, washable laundry bags keep dirty clothes separate from the clean ones. Lifetime warranty, 100 day trial. Live with it, vibe with it. Travel with it. If at any point you decide it's not for you, return it for a full refund. No questions asked. Free shipping on any away order within the lower 48 states. Carry-on sizes that are compliant with all major U.S. airlines while maximizing the output you can pack. Now, um, the special offer is as follows. Uh, for $20 off a suitcase, visit awaytravel.com grantspod and use promotion code grantspod during checkout. That's uh, uh, awaytravel.com slash grantspod and use promotion code grants pod during checkout Uh, that ladies and gentlemen will be the It'd be your darn call to action. So uh, so act. All right. Um, Evan, it, it's okay. You can have a you know another job, too. I know we don't pay quite enough here, so it's fine. Twitter
2: you know doesn't what? pay very much either.
0: <laughs> they don't pay by the word? Uh, unthankfully, no. But you know what? Donald Trump would be really rich. Anywho. So. Evan,
1: how often do you tweet? <laughs> how, now, ma- how many mind. tweets <laughs> do you do? No, typical day? No, seriously. How many do you do?
2: Maybe four or five. Oh, oh four really? Six. That's it? That's it? Which I'm going to admit to, yes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay. So Michelle, what, some were, people... what were we talking about of substance? We were talking about... About daily active usage uh-huh. so um there are some people on twitter who tweet quite a lot like whether i don't know what that quite a lot number is 10, four or 20, five four or five sure then there's um, presidential level <laughs> and then there's <laughs> <laughs> you know when i um you know there are times that i'm tweeting 10 times a day for example Does, um, does
0: no one have a real job eric, <laughs> eric do you tweet eric eric is saying yeah i tweet fine but tweets in north Korean.
1: anyway um, uh, if uh, you're uh, tweeting actively let's yeah. say and there are plenty of people who are tweeting actively that is usage right as opposed to a user that's ah, Michelle so being what a twitter, singular
0: right what what so uh, what uh, twitter was measuring was the obsessive use of its service by obsessive people, right?
1: By a smaller number of people. Yes.
0: By that, should we call them a cohort?
1: Yes. We yeah. can call them that. Yeah. Maybe we can come up with another name.
0: Yeah. I bet we can <laughs> a little later.
1: All right. So that's one
0: bespoke metric. Yeah. Can you think of another? I'm trying to like, you know, there are lots of other... Oh, we work at one, right? Evan, what was, what was that? The community, community
2: Adjusted EBITDA, yeah, which was, if I remember good. correctly is adjusted, adjusted, adjusted EBITDA. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, I've seen all sorts of adjusted EBITDA. I mean, why does you know, the SEC let people get away with it? Uh, because <laughs> I think you'd you know Some, some yeah. people yeah. down in you DC work, about yeah. that. And I think that you're seeing that quite frankly more. I mean, right. There's an anti-regulatory environment right now in Washington. You know, certainly the chairman of the SEC has given plentiful speeches about this, about the anti-regulatory environment and how it's, you know, he wants to free up these companies to do this sort of thing. Is, is this so a trend feel, where,
2: where you're seeing the SEC enforce stuff less and less? We recently wrote about a company who, the SEC had correspondence with. And one of the things the SEC said, it would be very nice if you tell us what your organic growth is. And the company basically said, well, we're not going to. And the SEC seemed to to take that as okay. Are are you seeing the SEC being less, I guess, watchful?
1: I don't think that they're being less watchful. And I've certainly seen examples of that under the prior administration. Um, I haven't really quantified it like that, but I think that you're seeing companies do sorts of things like they'll put in form of agreements. Like I was looking at a company the other day, for example, and instead of spelling out what options they were giving to their CFO, they just basically included a form of agreement, which is basically like a legal Zoom document that just is fill in the blank. Now, I would argue that if the SEC was actually paying attention to that, they should actually disclose what this person is getting, what the vesting schedule is, and so on. But I don't know that that's necessarily going to happen. So I will say that that's one thing I've noticed is more of these form of agreements that are nonspecific and and kind of vague. Um, and So I it, it is a literal
0: ticking of a box, right? There's no substance There's
1: no substance. I mean, quite frankly, it's like, why do they even include it, right? Like, you're disclosing something, but you're not disclosing something. Now, now
0: Michelle, is is there some particular industry or part of some particular West Coast state, say, near San Francisco, that might be especially egregious about these things?
1: Uh, California? Mm (laughs) California?
0: Well, this, this was the topic of the Harvard Business Review story, yeah. right? It was, it was they, the authors, interviewed an undisclosed number, but evidently a quorum of Silicon Valley CFOs,
2: right? A uh, uh, fill-in-your-blank number of CFOs, yes.
0: It was like a Zoom thing. <laughs> the, the critics don't even come out and tell you what's going on.
1: I mean, you could definitely see this sort of attitude where they feel that they don't have to. Oh, the Gap rules are boring. Yeah. you know, it's yeah. like like we're we have the new the new metric and the new they're
0: not know, assa- paradigm. They're not associating Gap rules with older people, are they? because that would be a form of ageism, which I, which I think <laughs> even today in this environment is under sanction of heavy federal penalty.
1: Yes, even today. <laughs>
0: (laughs) All right. Who said ageism? So, Michelle, of what consequence are these trends? I mean, does it actually matter? Or are people just stripping away the veneer of what had been a formalistic system and coming up with something that, in their opinion, at least, and perhaps in the opinion of the market, is a better one?
1: Well, I mean, I think that, you know, perhaps it didn't matter when everything was going up, up, up. And, you know, it didn't seem to matter that much if companies were playing fast and loose with their metrics or, you know, defining, you know, you know, something in a new and unique way. But now, Um, you know, that there's been, I hate to use the C word, but that there's been some downward movement in some of these stocks. I think that, you know, people are paying closer attention to this. What do corrections correct? Hmm, Is this a knock knock joke? No.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, maybe one of the things that corrections correct is the uh, lack and the sloth and the... uh,
1: The fizziness.
0: Yeah, or the uh, evasiveness, shall we call it, of financial documents. Is that possible? Yes, now, absolutely. did you notice, Michelle, when you were watching after prior correction interludes, did you notice a stiffening up of uh, enforcement? Did you notice a new rigor in reporting? Does, is, do corrections induce or bear markets induce a kind of return to older standards or no? Or has it just been one long slide down in reporting quality?
1: No, I mean, I think that there has been certainly, you know, um, when I think back to sort of, you know, 2000. 2007, 2008, there was certainly, um, you know, the new regulations and then the, some of the additional disclosure requirements of that. Pretty soon people forget about that. I mean, Evan and I were speaking over lunch about this, about how the only, the graph only goes back, what, five years, were you saying?
2: Uh, it's like a, a lot of VAR models, which banks used to actually model risk, only go back like seven years at most, which means a lot of the VAR models no longer include a recession.
0: Right. There's, there's a lot of present-mindedness on Wall Street generally. I mean, if financial history paid better, I suppose, be more financial historic it's kind of a sore point around here Michelle you know, yeah whatever it's time for a word from uh, our sponsor we have two today ladies and gentlemen we have a sponsor called Finn and Finn is uh, Finn is all you need if what you want is to be organized once upon a time way back when everyone had a personal assistant and around here that uh, office is uh, actually is uh, Eric Whitehead does this as well as many other things he's the engineer sound tech he's uh, helps us we're moving to 233 Broadway where this publication started 35 years ago that move is slated for later next year he runs The conferences he uh handles all the administrative details and he is uh yeah an assistant in a way that's one of the things he does so say you don't have eric right eric it's possible to imagine that no he's oh eric says not but let's try imagine without what do you do well what you do is fin fin is a combination of uh, ai and human activity to help you organize your stuff your time So you won't look at your calendar first thing in the morning and freak. So you don't need to spend your time recruiting, training and managing an assistant. Finn can do it all. Schedule meetings with coworkers or clients, answer calls, handle travel plans for your business trips, find and use book service providers to uh, fix things around the office. All right, just call Eric. Anyway, prospect new business opportunities. Finn does everything a great assistant can without the cost. Huh, without the cost, Eric. Never mind, and commitment of a full-time hire. And if you're someone who doesn't have 40 hours of work every week, ha! You only pay for what you use. Finn is available 24/7, 365 days a year. Never calling in sick, never traveling, never going on vacation. So Finn has saved me 10 plus hours per week, and I know Finn will help you be more productive so you can grow your business. That's why I've arranged for you to all try Finn free. Just use my link, finn.com/grant. That's finn.com/grant to try Finn for free. Finn Dot com slash grant
2: is is there an example maybe from like two or three years ago where you saw something in the fine print that the market didn't care about and it suddenly became important later
1: wow there's a lot of examples of that it's hard I think right now what you're seeing is suddenly coming to fruition right um you know something that you saw um, a couple of years ago is suddenly people are you know paying attention to if you look at like you know Tesla's filings for example you know seeing some of the metrics that they've used there um and some of the disclosures definitely coming into play.
2: Speaking of Tesla, it seemed like Elon Musk was to the wall with the SEC. And at the end, the SEC let him off with a small slap on the wrist and a small fine. Is that kind of like an avatar for uh, how how the regulators are approaching the market today?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's hard. I mean, I know some guys who work at the SEC. I don't mean to say guys. There are some people who work at the SEC. You know, I think that they're as committed to their mission as, as ever before. But I think, you know, at the top, there's definitely a changing tide, if you will, where, you know, perhaps, you know, they don't want to do that sort of thing.
2: Tone at the top is something that we look at in companies to see how they're leading the organizations that um, they run. What is the tone at the top at the SEC today?
1: Well, I think it's, you know, it, it's like what you hear from the administration. I mean, I think there's, you know, definitely an anti-regulatory bent. Um, you know, you keep hearing about, you know, one of the little things that just kind of ticks me off is that like, you know, talk about Main Street as if like public companies are sort of like Bob's shoe store, you know, down, you know, that's, that's eking out like a living. But they're publicly traded companies. And I think that, you know, if you ask the public, if if you go to the market and ask for money to fund your business, then you have a certain responsibility. Michelle, Um, what is the
0: tone in the middle of the SEC of your people you talk to? Is is there a morale
1: problem? Well, I don't know if I want to go quite that far. Um, They still get paid, right? They're still getting paid.
0: I'm I'm kind of rooting a little bit for the administration on this. I think that there ought not to be a, a suffocating regulatory control over things. But having said that, I do think, that it would be better if companies would adhere to a standard set of financial metrics and not try to make stuff up. Making stuff up is not what I identify with Adam Smith personally.
1: I mean, look, I think you can make an argument that, you know, a company, you know, gap, of course, being the overall framework that you have, perhaps a bank is counting its money differently than Facebook would be. But in the end, you need to have sort of that common language, Esperanto or whatever it is that, you know, kind of, you know, works, yes. Thank
0: you for being with us today. I think, Evan, I think it's time to go back and tweet. Uh, <laughs> Michelle Leader. thank you for being with us. And uh, thank you for shedding light on the ever so murky world of standardized financial reporting. Thank Until you. next time, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for being with us at Current Yield. I'm Jim Grant.